Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Essential Mutsing Guide, the podcast, as brought to you by the Faculty of Law at Universitas Padidara. I'm your host, Travis Walio, the Chief Coordinator for International Moot Courts at the organization, and we're happy again to be with you guys today. Today, we're going to be breaking down another moot court, and today we have a special guest to do that. But the moot court we are going to be breaking down is the Red Cross International Humanitarian Law Moot. It's also known as the IHL Moot, and as I said before, we have a special guest to help me tell you guys all about it. Uh, would you like to do the honors of telling our audience your name, uh, your current job and position, and just why you're qualified to be helping us today? <laughs> okay. Hello, everybody. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Before I start with my introduction, I think I would really like to congratulate you, Trafis, Ahmad, and MCS, and everybody's, everybody else involved for having this podcast, because I think this is a very important tool for incoming Mootis, for them to know more about moot court competitions in a very innovative way. Thank you so much. It is a long-term investment, which will be of interest, I think, for everybody in Unput. And thank you again for inviting me to of be course, one of the speakers of in your series. <laughs> it is really an honor for me to share some of the stories and experience, which I hope will be helpful for everybody's listening. So just a brief introduction about myself. My name is Nofrian Pahlawan Sumharto. I know it's a rather long name, but you may call me Nofri for short or Kang Nofri, whatever you want to call me. Because, by the way, I'm originally from Bandung, so you can call me Kang or Bang, Mas, whatever. And you um, need to know that currently I work for the International Committee of the Red Cross, or the ICRC, the ICRC. as Deputy Regional Advisor for Multilateral Affairs in the Asia-Pacific region. So I know, again, it's a rather long designation. But in short, what I do is to carry out humanitarian diplomacy of the ICRC with regional organizations in Asia-Pacific. But my focus is to do this with authorities in ASEAN and also to, hold, to have some sort of dialogue, policy dialogue, most of the time with ASEAN Secretariat. And I've been working for this organization for a little bit over than three and a half years. And why am I qualified? I don't know if I'm qualified, but I hope I am. But maybe because, <laughs> maybe because I joined moot court competitions and and uh, IHL is the only moot court that I, uh, I joined, and I, I'm always interested in any moot courts, including IHL, and I've I've judged the same competition, this IHL competition, in the past eight years, if you like, so eight years in a row, and I've also judged a couple of other moot court competitions uh, such as not a couple but one moot court competition but for two times so that's the ICC moot court competition which is held in The Hague by Leiden University so I think that's pretty much in a nutshell uh, why I think it's relevant for me to talk about IHL moot court competition not only because it's organized by the ICRC uh, which is my employer but also the fact that I've joined the moot court competition in the past I can explain a little bit more about my professional career if, if you are interested as well. Of course, Gang. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second, but just just so I can wrap it up a little bit. Gang Nofrian, uh, Gang Nofri, if you will, is definitely one of the more qualified people from uh, our alma mater to help me today. As he mentioned before, uh, the 
organizer of the IHL Moot is his employer. He's been working with them for over three years. He's been judging it for around eight, and he's done the Moot himself. So if if you're not sure, lang, let me be the one to tell you that you are more than qualified to be helping us today. <laughs> so just as a beginning question, I'm sure that some of our listeners are first-year Mootis or, or even first-year law students, and perhaps we have a couple of listeners who are not even law students in general. So perhaps you could start with explaining just really what uh, the ICRC is. Could you touch a bit on what you guys do? Okay, so the ICRC is an impartial, neutral, and independent organization whose exclusively humanitarian mission is to protect the lives and dignity of victims of armed conflict and other situations of violence and to provide them with assistance. So we are a human right, uh, humanitarian organization. We work based on NIHA approach. So it's um, neutral, impartial, independent in carrying out an, our humanitarian assistance. And we also end afford to prevent suffering by promotion, promoting and strengthening humanitarian law and universal humanitarian principles. So the ICRC is one of the component of the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement because there are a couple of other components. The first one is the International Federation of the Red Cross, which mainly focuses on natural disaster. And the second one is the National Society. So in Indonesia, the National Society is Indonesian Red Cross or Palang Merah Indonesia. Right, right, we right. have national societies across the globe. And of course, the ICRC is, was founded by Angri Dunand uh, uh, over... 150 years ago after he witnessed the the battle of solferino so our work is pretty much divided into four strands if you will to make my explanation a little bit uh, clearer i will explain one by one the first axis of our work is assistance so we provide humanitarian assistance such as food medical services or health services water and sanitation as well as economic security program for people affected by armed conflicts and violence. The second axis is to provide protection for the most vulnerable members of the society, to visit them, for example, in in prisons. So we carry out detention visits in various prisons across the globe especially to know the situation of the security detainees. The third axis is to carry out prevention work. So what we do is to disseminate international humanitarian law, disseminate Mm -hmm. humanitarian principles, and disseminate other important issues related to humanitarian affairs, whether it is thematic or based on context or certain conflicts that is happening. Uh, that are happening in certain regions, for example, at all levels. So we have dialogue with authorities, stakeholders at all level, as well as with arm bearers, the police officers, as well as armed forces and general public, including, for example, students and lecturers, parliamentarians, that sort of thing. That's what we do in terms of our prevention work. And the last trend of what we do is to carry out cooperation with components of the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement. So it's the International Federation of the Red Cross, as well as the national societies and including PMI, Indonesian National, sorry, Indonesian uh, Red Cross Society. 
as well as other partners that can really make sure that humanitarian issues are uphold i mean upheld right. and interests of people are protected so we work with various actors really the government authorities religious leaders because we believe that uh, collaboration is very important for us to ensure that the lives of the people most vulnerable especially in conflict and uh, violence situation can be protected well it's it is absolutely no doubt that from your explanation that you, the work that you and the ICRC do are very important and imperative to society so uh, hope maybe maybe um, this will interest some of our juniors or colleagues to look for work in the ICRC but um, thank you for the explanation it was actually very very elaborate, very comprehensive, and I, I don't think I have any questions. Um, so maybe we should move on to the next one. Sorry, maybe just to say that uh, we don't necessarily carry out these four activities in all delegations. So it really depends again on the context. For example, in Indonesia, we have some priorities. We focus on prevention, for example, and we don't really do assistance because there is no ongoing armed right, conflict happening in the country. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but in, in in Myanmar, for example, when there are, uh, you know, violence and armed conflicts in various states of the country, then of course the priority is to give the assistance whilst doing three other axes of activities, like I already mentioned. Right, right. So, yeah. so when did the ICRC start hosting the International Humanitarian Law Moot? And was it in line with, with these four axes? Uh, for the exact timing i don't know but when i was still a student it was over 10 years ago by the way just a little bit of intermezzo i'm from 2007 batch so 10 years ago i was a law student and it was already there i think it was started around 15 years ago or something like that so 2005 ish or 2004 i i don't know but uh of course our activities um, I mean, this moot court competition is in line with this for access. It is part of the prevention work. So to carry out dissemination of IHL and humanitarian affairs, I mean, humanitarian principles and values with the public. And we have been doing this in different parts of the world. So yes, definitely moot court competition is, is one of the priorities of the legal department and its engagement with 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 the with the public especially students as future generations because we have seen some examples a lot of examples actually where former participants of this moot court competition in the end of the day work for the icrc uh, I don't necessarily work for the legal department so I work for policy department but of course understanding of IHL is of foremost important importance for me the legal, the current legal advisor in Indonesia, a colleague of mine, also participated in this IHL Court competition, and we have seen a number of other legal advisors who participated in the Court competition. Well, it's great to have people who participate in the competition, even if it, even like you in the policy department. I'm sure it's very, very helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's been very helpful for me personally. I think one of the reasons why I was recruited by my supervisor a little bit then three years ago was the fact that I, you know, 
I know IHL. I joined IHL and I judged uh, IHL court competitions for many, many years. So that, that was one of the considerations, which was of my benefit because, you know, sometimes we've got to compete really in this very competitive uh, market. I think there is something to sell and, and this IHL knowledge is definitely an asset which I used to join the ICRC. Because maybe just to explain a little bit more trophies, if of you course, don't mind of course. about please, uh, please do. my career before joining the ICRC. So I work for the UK Embassy in Jakarta. So I work for the British Embassy in Jakarta for three and three years before joining the ICRC. So at the embassy, I was working at the political section. So I was dealing with human rights issues as well as legal issues. So I was the sort of embassy in-house legal advisor for three years. So I had to answer questions from London, from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, National Crime Agency and the Crown Prosecution Office and various other institutions in the UK about you know, legal issues in Indonesia or to provide some sort of legal advices for consular cases. Right, right. And prior, yeah, prior to that, I think I also work in a law firm. I work in a human rights law firm for one and a half years. I think these two professions are, I think, uh, worth nothing to mention because I think in later stage when we discuss about some other issues, then I would make some examples from my experience in these two previous jobs that I had. But to say that uh, joining the ICRC is really uh, rewarding for me, it's not necessarily uh, easy to uh, to work for the ICRC in terms of your recruitment because of the competitiveness and the competition is just quite tight. These days, we have a lot of competent uh, human resources out there. So knowledge of IHL was definitely uh, very helpful for me to join the ICRC to get recruited. So speaking of... IHL, and as not in the moot, but mm -hmm. the legal category, international humanitarian law. Um, could you explain just a little bit uh, for our listeners what exactly IHL is in terms of uh, in legal okay. concepts? Uh, maybe I will not explain in, the, in a very legalistic textbook way, but just to say that IHL stands for International Humanitarian Law. In the U.S. is also known as LOAC or Law Armed of Conflict, Armed right? Conflict. So, yeah. So, under international law, it is known as use in bello. So, this is the law that governs the way in which warfare is conducted. So, IHL is purely humanitarian. It seeks to limit the suffering caused by armed conflicts and violence. And it is dependent from questions about justification or reasons for war or its prevention, covered by another branch of international law known as use ad bellum. So IHL really talks about treatments of the victims and people affected by armed conflict, as well as the means and methods of war. So we don't talk about a justification or a legality of an attack of one country directed against another country. So it is really not about uh, talking about self-defense. It's not talking about the resolution of the Security Council, for example, in carrying out uh, some sort of uh, prevention measures or some sort of uh, military right. actions. We don't talk about such justification, but we really talk about treatment of people affected by conflicts, uh, of victims, people who cannot wage war anymore, 
such as Och de Combe and Mins and Methods of War. So we talk about weapons and whether certain weapons Are, can yeah. be used in war are justifiable or when it is justifiable to use a certain weapon, whether the weapon itself uh, should be used in a, I mean, how the weapon can be used in a legalistic way. So it's in, in a justifiable manner. So it is really a matter of deploying the weapon. So we talk about some principles, such as principles of proportionality, principles of precautionary and attack. So it's how a weapon is used or deployed. I've heard some people say, though, that uh, in regards of a subject matter, if I can kind of pull it back towards the moot, we don't see as much uh, armed conflict nowadays, especially in, in a lot of parts of the world. Very few parts of the world are experiencing um, armed conflict, and I'm not sure how, how accurate my statement is, and please correct me if, if I'm wrong and there's actually a lot of conflict going on in the world. Uh, but I guess for a lot of, you know, peaceful societies, we're kind of detached from all of that. And uh, some people might argue that having a moot court that is kind of related to something that's quote-unquote detached from most of society, uh, it questions the relevancy of the moot court. Do you, would you dis agree or disagree with that statement? Do you think that um, IHL moot is still relevant today? It is very relevant, actually. As a matter of fact, there are many, many conflicts happening in, in across the globe at the moment. Maybe at the moment, the intensity is less um, less than before because of COVID. But, you know, let's say it's before the COVID period, before ceasefires and um, the effect of global pandemics. Yeah, we, we have seen an, uh, a lot of conflicts happening and it is a fact really in different parts of the world, not only in, in Africa, maybe some people will talk about Africa or let's say um, Middle East, um, Yemen, um, Afghanistan, Iraq, Central African Republic, but it, well, as well as in Asia. But of course, uh, we are not necessarily exposed to lower scale of conflicts. And, but uh, we are aware that I think starting a couple of years ago, there is also a uh, lot of conversation about a conflict which happening in northern part of Southeast Asia. I wouldn't mention the country, but we're aware of this issue because it has fallouts and repercussions which should be faced by many, many countries in uh, Southeast Asia in terms of the refugees or in terms of the migrants. Uh, resulted from such conflict and in a not so distant past there are there were also some conflicts actually happening in Indonesia if you just want to isolate the conversation to our own country maybe yes today we live co in coexistent and quote unquote coexistence uh, right, right. yeah exactly but but in, in not in a so you know, far distance, we had an armed conflict, full-fledged in uh, non-international armed conflict in Aceh. And uh, let's say 50 years ago, there were also conflicts and violence. And of course, IHL applied in this situation. And it's very important for us to really raise the awareness of people about IHL and about war because what we do is to prepare the society. So it is really about preparedness as well. So when we talk about natural disaster, of course, we need to carry out this 
you know, simulation drills. So we talk about preparedness. So when such thing happen, people are prepared and know how to react to that. With the global pandemic, COVID, for example, people are not prepared. Countries are not prepared. But there are also some elements of the society or country who are aware of this situation. Uh, Mike Happening, for example, um, Bill Gates already talked uh, already talked about famous TED talk, right? A, a, many many years ago exactly and it is really about prevention it is really about preparedness and uh, ihl geneva convention is very very important because it talks about treatments of people affected by conflicts or violence whether civilians can be targeted and it is a matter of protecting civilians and civilian objects which are of our best interests as a member of the society to minimize suffering so i think it's it's yeah, exactly. So I think it's very, very relevant. So uh, the uh, people should, should should know that Indonesia as well is, is very uh, active in a global stage, for example, global level, in supporting humanitarian affairs. For example, uh, Indonesia is um, sending um, peacekeeping troops or sending various peacekeeping missions to different parts of the world and I think it is really a strong sign that Indonesia is concerned of of uh, this import the importance of this issue and therefore IHL I think is as one of the issues or related to conflicts is very important for for people to know do you think, um, what, what would you say is, is kind of a defining factor for this moot court? Especially because uh, you mentioned before that you've judged uh, another moot court, the ICC. Do you think that, and I also know for a fact that you uh, you help us coach Jessup, for example, this year. What yeah. do you think makes this moot court special for you specifically? And, and perhaps do you have any stories from... Uh, or anecdotes from when you were uh, a participant? Do you have uh, anything you can maybe share with us? Okay, I think um, I, ICC and IHL Moot Court competitions, they have similarities. So just to explain that in IHL Moot Court competition, we talk about violations of IHL, violations of Geneva Conventions and its protocols. And these violations are categorized as war crimes. And war crimes are under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. So when we talk about IHL mood, then we we'll, should learn about IHL as well as International Criminal Law and International Criminal Court. So these two mood courts are quite uh, related, if you like. What makes IHL different compared to either mood court? I think the fact that um, we have to learn about these three subjects of law. We also should develop analytical thinking skills, which are quite important for us to be a law student and to be a lawyer. And IHL, the problem of the IHL mood court competition is a very good uh, exercise to really refine our logic and anal analytical thinking because we have to make uh, we have to prove 
whether an armed conflict exists and what is the characterization of the armed conflict. And it requires a lot of analytical thinking. It is just not um, sort of basic thinking, but it, it is quite advanced sort of exercise for, for many lawyers actually to, to determine whether an armed conflict already existed and whether a non-international or international armed conflict have existed in certain contexts. What's interesting also the fact that um, we have to stick with the elements of crime. So what's different with other moot court competition is because when you join other moot court competitions, uh, you can be quite creative in terms of developing your arguments. But for IHL, because it is about war crimes, it is under ICC, then there are elements of crimes that we have to really observe. And these are quite rigid because when we learn criminal law, of course, we, we know about this mens rea Definitely. also actus reus. Yeah, exactly. And those are quite rigid. So it's, it's quite written on the wall, for example. And uh, sorry, written on the stone. <laughs> writing on the wall is sense. Yeah, written on the stone, and uh, and and that's the reason why it's it's interesting actually. So we've really got to stick on the element of crime. So I think um what's difference about IHL is also the fact that um you guys will get to see me in person and get to know me in person when you join. <laughs> can't can't get that anywhere else, yeah. <laughs> but an interesting story about my participation. I think I would say that um, joining IHL Mood Court competition was very helpful for me to develop my network because I know the current legal advisor from IHL Mood Court competition that I participated. So networking is very important, not only with you know, our friends in, in UNPAD, but also friends from other universities. I still have no, some course, other friends right. that I met. I know them from this competition. And an uh, interesting story is was because my uh, teammates were my friends, I mean, because uh, the reason why I only joined IHL Mood Court competition because, was also because I joined so many other competitions in, in university because I was regarded as this, you know, a nerd when I was in uni. I'm no longer a nerd, but maybe I was a nerd before. And I joined like debate competition as well. So I was part of the debating team of my university. So it was ESSU. So I, you know, participated in many debate competition as well as public speaking competitions. And not so much uh, about Moon, the model United Nation, because it was not a thing back then. So it was just starting, I think, in my second year, then Moon became a hit. But uh, um, not so many mutuers were interested in in modeling the nation at the time so my teammates were my team my teammates in i actual court competition were my teammates in debating club so uh, so i've known them for quite some time because i joined um several debate competitions with them so i think a, a story was uh we had a good chemistry because the chemistry is very important and we also had a very good relationship with lecturers especially um, Bukristi, and because I was so close to Bukristi up to this day, I'm very, very She's close still to Bukristi, too. <laughs> as well as Ibu Yeah. Yeah, as well as Ibu Orin, and it's, it's been very helpful. I mean, if you need anything, then you can, you know, contact them, or uh, if they need me, they can contact me. Like, for example, I went to Unpa twice already to provide a 
sort of some sort of lecture if you like on IHL and on ICRC in the past two years. Actually, I'm, I was supposed to go this year as well in, in March, but because of COVID, it was finally cancelled. So I think that's, that's a, a good memories I had from, from Moot Court. But just to mention that chemistry is very important in any competition, including Moot Court competition, especially uh, the amount of time used to spend with each other, right? to yeah, practice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's quite mass. I mean, it's quite uh, demanding. So chemistry is very important. Just as an intermezzo, Kang. Uh, interestingly enough, MUN is still not as popular. I mean, like it's kind of, but not really. Mood court is still kind of like the prima donna. But um, some some MUNs are actually kind of trying trying to mimic mood court. Last year, mm-hmm. Jogja and I participated as well with a couple juniors. They they simulated the international criminal tribunal for Yugoslavia. And what was interesting okay. is that in a, a little bit different from Moot Court was that we got to do cross examination, and they had actors come in and yeah. everything. And so that was that was very fun. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really fun to see uh, uh, the the kind of development and, and progression in, in these legal competitions that, that kind of are taking a new yeah. creative way. Actually, ICRC was invited to provide a keynote speech, I think, at the opening of that. Oh, yeah, speech. actually, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah, it was my head of delegation. And the idea was actually for us to be one of the co-hosts, one of us to co-host this event, but finally, you know, today didn't happen. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I was well informed about it. So yeah, I, I know how it went. But yeah, uh, I think, yeah, we can also learn a lot from Moon. But as as a law student, I think what's more relevant is... Without is a doubt. Court. Uh, speaking from experience, definitely yeah. as well. Yeah. We're actually, uh, th- this is probably the first time that we're having a Moot Court judge on the podcast, Okan. Okay. So this is this is a kind of an opportunity for us to get a little bit of uh, insight on the other side of the stand. Do you have any right. stories from from being a judge and maybe you can share as as a judge what is it exactly that you perhaps look for in uh, a muti uh, from both the perspective of written written arguments but especially from uh, sitting on the other side of the stand and listening to to someone argue with their oral arguments, what is it exactly that makes someone good or perhaps even great? Okay, so there are two questions. I will answer the first question. Interesting story from uh, my judging experience. I think the fact that the judges uh, are usually similar, you know, the same from one year to another to another year, like in the past eight years, I've seen similar faces. It's always the same judges. Most of the time, I mean, they are uh, international legal counsels of some corporate lawyers in Jakarta, and some are staff in UN or international organizations. Some um, are lecturers as well. So I've you know, familiar faces. Um, interesting story is the fact that some judges also look for different things in in moot court. I mean, in the mootas, for example, some judges would want the students to know more about the law, to answer legal questions. So most of the time it's uh, lecturers who want to know whether um, the agents know about the law quite well. But the lawyers would be interested in the argumentation and how the uh, muters could convince them and how they can argue and using the facts and the law in such a way that would make them 
on the upper hand, for example. So those are some of the interesting stories. Maybe not so interesting, but you know, in what called I think it's interesting. Uh, becoming a judges. That that's getting me thinking <laughs> as like a coach. Like okay, okay, yes, this is this is good information. Yeah, I mean, I share this with with the Jessup team and with with every uh, IHL team every year. But yeah, so the second question, which is pretty much linked with the first question, the criteria that we look uh, as a judge. I think uh, just to say that we have this scoring seat. And of course, you know, when we talk about this scoring seat, it's really about a textbook, right? So uh, what's there is pretty much about knowledge of the law, whether the students know about the law quite well. The second one is the facts, so knowledge of the facts, so you know which paragraph to refer to when a judge asks about a certain question, I think is quite common. And the rest are really about your arguments and time management, how you deliver your presentation or your pleading, that sort of thing. But I would want to ex- you know, explain things which are not necessarily written on, on the scoring seat because uh, some judges, you know, like me and a lot of other judges, I would say, are more interested in other issues which are not mentioned on the criteria, on the paper, but pretty much important in determining how much, how much score we would like to give to uh, the agents, for example. So the first one uh, is to say that when we carry out, you know, when we join with our competition, when we give our pleadings, it's really a matter of having a dialogue. So to really have a conversation and not to have a one-man show. So it's not a speech where there is no rapport, there is no dynamic between the speaker and the listener. But it should be a dialogue when there is a two-way of communications between the agent and the judges. So it means that the, the agent should also spend time looking at the judges in a genuine mm-hmm. way. Spend time in answering some of the questions that the judges say uh, the, the judges ask because of course the judges most of the time will focus on interesting matters so they will not uh you know f- ask about things which are quite obvious so it's important for the agents also for the agents to spend time more on interesting matters rather than things which are quite obvious it means that we should focus on the clashes points of arguments which of interest for both parties. And uh, next is really about using the facts in a creative way and to argue. Because these lawyer judges, they are interested really in how you convince them. So use the logic to ensure that your assertion or your argumentation is better compared to your opening. So it's not necessarily about law all the time because of course, moot court is really a bridge, a gate for law students to know about the reality, how it's like in reality to be a lawyer. So I've also seen the moot court competition in KL and Manila. And I would say that the, 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 the agents were very creative in using their arguments. So they don't necessarily focus only on the facts provided on the uh, mood problem, but they explore more by finding various state practices uh, in different parts of the world, for example, which could support their arguments. It's very important also not to be so stuck into this um, problem in a way that would make it to be very 
abstract because mood court should be real because we will not only talk about the ideal world but we will talk about the reality right, right. so it's not only in the you know cloud cuckoo land but it's really to use the logic to use the to use our logic to argue in in a, in a convincing way lastly for me in terms of what i look personally from from agents um is their ability to engage with their opponent again it's not a one man show it's not a one way conversation it's not only a conversation or dialogue about the agents with the judges but also between the two conflicting parties so when your opponent says something i think it is your responsibility to respond to that and to negate that so there's the reason why we have rebuttal and sue rebuttal but but sometimes this is not carried out effectively so it's very important to really engage to your opponent lastly for me listening is half winning so if you don't listen then you will not win i think it's very important to listen to what your opponent have got to say okay so can can i try and summarize that a little bit uh first is most important sure. to have the dialogue uh with the judges that it's a converse it's not a one way speech it's a two way conversation that a mutsi should focus on the clashes the points of arguments that are interesting not the obvious ones mm-hmm. that they need to use the facts mm-hmm. in a creative way and argue but at the same time they should not get too abstract and stay within reality and lastly and almost most importantly you mentioned it's also important to engage with your opponent because listening is half the battle right Uh, and make sure that uh, you are also uh, negating what they're arguing against you. Did I get about that about right? Great listening skill. You can be <laughs> a champion quite easily. <laughs> yeah, I mean you I'm retired gun. I can't say everything I said. So <laughs> none of that, none of that <laughs> coaching only for me. Looking at the time though, I'm afraid that I'm going to have to kind of hurry us along, but I still have two questions uh for you. Mhm. Um before before we yeah. get to the last one I would like to ask that um you are uh, quite privileged in and uh, in in a way that you have worked in the uh, hypotheticals in humanitarian law um in the moot court but you also now work in the real world of humanitarian law mm-hmm. do you think there's yeah. any gap in between the two and and maybe you could elaborate about uh, the differences between the two and especially for like let's say law students like me who are preparing to graduate uh, what what is the kind of gap that we need to prepare to experience when we're crossing the threshold from law student to law practitioner i think the gap is the fact that um not all issues should be settled in a court or in such conflicting way or in such a very confrontational manner if you like because most of the time people do negotiate and um negotiation is very important and i think that's the reason why we should understand that negotiation skill is equally important as litigation skill if you like so just to say that uh this legal channel is used as a last resort so for me joining a participating moot court have you know has really helped me to develop some general competences if you like So I I hope that my you know answer answered already your first question but in terms of what I learned from um moot court which is helpful for uh, which are helpful for my legal career is the general competences that are acquired from attending or participating in moot court the research skill I think is very very important 
whatever our job is in, in legal policy, strategic level, I suppose that research skill is very important to get real information, to focus on you know, points that we need to spend more time on and not to get distracted with less important minor points, for example. That's important research. Gathering data is important. Analyzing a case is also very, very important because, of course, when we talk about case, we talk about real problem. We talk about uh, the practice, which is not ideal as compared to the theory or to the norms, which are quite abstract. And anal um, critical thinking, analytical thinking is, is very important for all lawyers, I think. And then uh, we learn how to came up with arguments as well as to write concisely. It's also very important to improve our English. Really, I mean, it's important also to say that uh, when we work, we are not expected to write I mean, uh, to write so long, so it should be concise and we can't really, you know, write too long and we learn a lot how to really limit our, ourselves and to express ourselves in an effective way when joining a mood court. And then we learn how to defend our arguments, we learn how to argue, that's very important, be it in negotiation or in litigation, I think it's important to really uh, defend what we believe in and defend what we support. And lastly, also working in team is very, very important, is an asset which uh, some people do not have and it's it can be quite challenging actually working with difficult people, but when we join Moodcode, we learn to appreciate others, to working in Definitely. team under a lot of pressure, long hours. And I think uh, those are still quite relevant in professional career, even though, of course, there is a gap between studying and professional work. But these general competences that I mentioned are, are still very, very relevant, even until we reach top level, being a CEO, being, you know, have our own law firms. I think these, these skills are still uh, pivotal. So even though there is a gap and that gap is mostly oriented towards uh, not everything being so litigative in a, in a way, uh, it's not always so confrontational and that's something that we might need to prepare for as law students but at the same time, a lot of the day-to-day -day skills, the general competencies that you mentioned are still very helpful. Uh, did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's perfect summary. Right. Yeah. So um, one last question just to wrap things up. Uh, and before we get to your final statement, as we as we always like to give our guests, would you recommend the IHL moot to the potential participants from, our, especially from Unpat, the, the new kids from Faculty of Law at Universitas Pajajaran? Would you recommend the IHL moot? Oh yes, definitely, especially to humanitarians. If you want to work in international organization, if you want to work for the UNHCR, for example, or the ICRC, or any humanitarian organization you know, FAO, for example, then I think it is a good start for you, to, not only to know the law, of course, the law is one thing, but also to know the humanitarian world, to know that there are people working in this field and working in the field of international law. And it is very recommended because the topic is interesting. We talk about real issues which are faced on day-to-day -day basis by millions of people. Maybe here in Indonesia, we sleep in our 
you know, beautiful bedroom, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people still don't. Because of conflicts. <laughs> that, yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I'm trying to be a humanitarian advocate here. <laughs> and also the fact that uh, the topic is quite interesting. You've got to learn about international criminal law. You've got to learn about international criminal law and uh, international criminal court. And I think these are interesting topics for, for law students who are um, keen to provoke themselves with what's going on really in different parts of the world, which reality is really, really different compared to our reality. So I hope that um, marketing <laughs> uh, explanation was good enough to lure the students to join Moot Court you know, IHL. Of course, hopefully, I hope so as well, uh, especially as a chief coordinator. Um, I have to kind of speak in my capacity now that uh, we are currently mm -hmm. pre-recording. So we're not recording this after we have news of IHL, but right now we're still waiting on exact dates for the IHL moot and uh, hopefully they will not decide to cancel it. At, at the worst, hopefully they only postpone it. If there is news by now when we're publishing. They'll be in Bali, by the way. It oh, will be yes. in Bali. So, another reason, another to, reason go. to go. I'm actually very much looking forward to it because yeah. of that. Because as a coach, I will get to fly out with you guys to Bali. And it's very affordable. For me, I don't have to pay to go to like Vietnam or The Hague, for example, which is very costly. But yeah. when we have news, hopefully we will be able to publish this episode uh, with when we are going to be holding yeah, the study group. Definitely. And, uh, but hopefully it's not cancelled. Definitely. Yeah. Fingers crossed all the way. Do you have any closing statements, Kang Nofri? Yeah, maybe not necessarily about IHL because I already did my job to market this uh, competition. Hopefully I was a good marketing guy. But then to say that Mood Court is a really good long investment. It's a long-term investment for, for Moody's in the future you will definitely benefit a lot from your experience joining with court competition. And to say that, man, today's marketing world, today's market is really, really competitive. It's really, really competitive. I should tell you that it's super competitive. We don't only compete with our colleagues in UNPAD, but with other universities. And I've judged Moot Court eight years in a row, and I've seen the quality and the performance of the students from various universities, you know, across the country, and I would say that they were impressive. So I think by joining this competition, you'll definitely catch up uh, with, with the international standard. You'll definitely learn to compete with others because when you join the professional world when you work professionally then you'll know that competition is very important and it is really in your dna so being competitive is important and mood code is one of the ways for you to pave your future awesome love to hear it you guys heard it here mood court is a great long-term investment and you guys should join but obviously yeah. thank you so much Kangnofri, for for being with us today Thank you, and sorry, it's a bit long. <laughs> no, I mean, it's maybe fine. I'm a little bit overexcited. We can, we can, uh, maybe not everything's gonna make it, but, but, uh, either way, uh, we've been planning this for a while, and, and I just want to say thank you so much for being, uh, so helpful and so understanding, also, especially with all the technical difficulties. So, thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. This is a pleasure, really, to have a conversation with you, really. I mean, it's, it's been a, a long time since I talk about mood code with, with students. Definitely, we are going to be in touch. Last remarks, thank you so much, and uh, I'll be in touch, Ekan. Thank you, Ekan. Thank you, Ekan.
Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much for, for being on the show. And so we come to the end of our IHL episode and actually the end of our podcast season one. We learned a lot from our conversation with Kang Nofrian regarding the ICRC, about IHL, as well as about Mukort, and we'd like to thank him so much for being on the show. To close off this episode, I'd like to give two special announcements. First, we'd like to announce that we have news about the national IHL moot, and that news is good news. The committee has announced that Universitas Udayana in Bali will still be hosting the moot court competition, and in light of that, we will be opening our online study group for the UNPAD IHL team very, very soon. All of you Mootis, both former and first-timers, do keep an eye out on our Moot Court Society Instagram page for more information about that. That's at MCSFHUNPAT on Instagram. MCSFHUNPAD. We look forward to meeting all of you guys online in a short amount of time from now. Secondly, we'd also like to announce, as I mentioned before, that this is the end of our first season and that we'll be on break for a little bit to prepare and plan out how we can continue to teach and share our knowledge with all of you guys. To close this off, however, I'd like to give a very big thank you to all the people who have made this podcast possible. First of all, we have the director of the show, Miss Naila Amatulo, and we also have my producers, who are coincidentally also my vice coordinators, Miss Elizabeth Kalista and Lazuari Tarik. We'd like to thank Agung Kurniawan and Mikhail Andika Irianto for being writers on the show. And the show itself is edited by me, with a lot of help from Raihan Faiki. All of our art and covers are designed by the amazing Hadrianti Nuraini. And we'd also like to thank all of our guests, every last single one of them, for making our content the amazing educational stuff that it is. And last but not least, we'd also like to thank all of you listeners from wherever you may come. You guys are the real reason we do this work, and we love making these lessons for you, no matter who you are, Mootis, law students, whoever. We hope that you've been able to learn something from our humble podcast. My name is Travis Waldio, the Chief Coordinator of IMCC at the Moot Court Society of the Faculty of Law, Universitas Pajajaran, and I will see you guys next season, and may it please the court.